And now. And now. And now. Item. 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 With Tommy Lee. Item. With Tommy Lee. Tommy Lee. All right, welcome to another epic podcast crossover event. Which we're having trouble figuring out how to begin, because we haven't individually done one in a while, and we certainly haven't done one collectively in a while. Yes, my name is Brad King, Tommy Lee. Hello, hello. Uh, I host the Let Me Ask You a Question podcast. You host the uh, the Item podcast, and uh, I've also got the Archive podcast, yes. which is pure fiction, which yes. is exactly what you want from a guy who delivers the news. <laughs> uh, I, will, I will refrain from it. <laughs> Any editorial? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they're very easy jokes to be made there. We have in the past talked um, collectively on both of our shows, uh, done done one of these epic podcast crossovers about things in uh, in the zeitgeist that we both dearly love. We did one for Star Wars. We did mm-hmm. one before that for Buffy the Vampire Slayer yep. when Tom Petty passed away because we're big yes. fans. And what was the other one? Um, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. When the uh, most recent season ended. And last week, unless you're hearing this next week then it was two weeks ago um we had the 30th anniversary which is hard to believe of appetite for destruction from guns and roses well technically the the album was actually released july 21st 1987 that's true so we're we're, this month marks the 31st anniversary but last week gnr released a ridiculously massive 30th anniversary box set wow which is i don't know if you saw there there's like four or five different versions of the box set no but the the ultimate i think they're calling it like the ultimate fngnr box is <laughs> it's like a thousand dollars it comes with like six discs and i don't know a lock of axel's hair or something i don't know and it's, it didn't take 14 years to make uh yeah, no just 31 right just 31 <laughs> i uh, and it's funny too because i always think of this album as an 88 album not an 87 album yeah. because the first year that it was out it didn't really register on my radar it wasn't until after i graduated in 88 mm-hmm. that it was everywhere that summer yeah. and i just kept hearing it everywhere yeah so what so what we want to do is is we're going to go through kind of song by song and uh talk about appetite for destruction um and just the the impact of the band overall the right. album itself and and just kind of give our our thoughts on um what i i will say off the top is not only one of the greatest rock metal albums ever mm-hmm. um but has to be one of the greatest debuts ever yeah it's a touchstone it's kind of like boston's boston which you know people can say whatever they want about boston but you can't deny that all eight of the songs on that album are still played on the radio somewhere yeah i mean it, that's a beatles kind of thing yeah. where everything on the album's a hit right Um, And not everything on this album was a hit, but everything on this album is an identifiable classic. And everything on this album is good. Also, yeah. Is good. Very good. You know, as as we'll get into as we go through this, you know, some tracks obviously are better than others. Right. And there there are a few on here that I think are okay, they're fine, you know, they're not... Marginally forgettable, but you know who they are. And and it's also in comparison to Paradise City and Welcome to the Jungle. Exactly. Iconic song. So uh, let's start right at the top. Track one, side one, Welcome to the Jungle. I wrote uh, some notes um, while I was listening back to the album earlier this week, and uh, what I wrote down here was 
the opening salvo of an assault on glam rock and the twee rockers with lipstick and mascara. <laughs> I said this was a statement, a manifesto, one of the strongest examples of how to do album one, side one, song one in rock history, probably right up there with Black Sabbath's Black Sabbath yeah. and Zeppelin's Good Times, Bad Times. I mean, this is quintessential, hey, we're here. Pay attention. Something's happening. It, it, that, that's, you know, my thoughts exactly. Is there, is there a better debut, a better introduction to a band yeah. than, than Welcome to the Jungle? I mean, just the... This is in the discussion. It's easily. The, the, the way the song starts, um, that iconic, that instantly iconic guitar riff, and then... The, the howl that comes up, Axel's howl. Yeah. And I mean, it's just the whole thing just like sonically punches you in the face. And, and and it brings to mind the visual aspect of it too, because you can't really, if you're from the MTV generation mm-hmm. that you and I are of, you can't really think about the um, anything other than the beginning of the video when you hear the beginning of this song. And what's he doing? He's getting off the bus getting in L.A. Bus, yep. And the whole world's in front of him, just yep. like what was going on with yeah. the band. Yeah. So cool. It's and now for me, you know, I'm a, a few years younger than you, hmm. um, so I like I knew of Guns and Roses. You know, in eighty seven, eighty eight, right. but I was I was ten years old in eighty seven. So G and R weren't really my thing yet. Right. Um, for me, it, it took really to the the Use Your Illusion album, so the early nineties when I really became hardcore G and R. So I don't I don't have a specific memory of the first time I heard Welcome to the Jungle. Do you have? Do you remember the first time that whether it was that video or that song and what? what that effect was the first time i really paid attention um and heard the song i might have heard parts of it in passing and was wondering what it was but um a couple of months before graduation i met my buddy morgan's house and um he had just gotten the album on vinyl and we're in his room listening to it and i'm just shaking my head like where the hell is this band ben yeah thank god for these guys whoever they are yeah and this is just amazing i mean it was just it was nothing like anything else that i was hearing right now and i was into metallica and maiden Mm -hmm. i also had you know the softer side of the the other artists that i liked i was still really big into you know a a lot of the softer things and some of the stuff like def leppard and Mm -hmm. a lot of the hair bands appealed to me this was nothing like any of that this was just balls to the wall let's get some work done rock and that's interesting because that was one of the, the uh, things I wanted to ask you about, and and I think I <laughs> I know your answer based on what you just said. But um, do you or did you ever consider Guns N' Roses hair metal? Uh, I don't know because to me they were you know in the Welcome to the Jungle video. You know Axel had the hair all teased out. Yeah. You know they were kind of doing you know Axel at least and Duff to to a certain extent were kind of doing a little bit of the makeup. Right. But it was like to, by the second single they were done. That with was that, that they, was they gone. Were, they yeah. were done with that. And you know well, they to, were trying to find their way in L.A. and they got bigger than the L.A. scene. Yeah. Is what happened. And so they outgrew the L.A. scene like that. Yeah. And I think that's why we we saw that transition happen pretty quickly by the time the second song came out. Yeah, and and to me that always made them a, a much more legit band. Yeah, you know they they I I don't know whether it was a conscious decision on their part or not, but it 
um, it it got them out of the that novelty of the hairband. Right. Uh, you know they they transcended that very quickly. Yeah, they and, earned their bones very quickly. Yeah, and you know not to knock Poison or Motley Crue or, or no. any of them. You know, but I, I think you know most people can agree GNR was such a much more impactful and bigger band than absolutely than any of those other. Hair and bands. after a statement like "Welcome to the Jungle," where do you go on that album? And their answer was, "It's so easy," <laughs> which wasn't a hit. But it's it's one of those songs. I mean, Axel almost sneers his way oh. through the whole thing. And uh, yeah, he almost sounds disinterested. Like, eh, whatever. I'm just doing well, a song. Which I, is, I mean, he, which he, is which is the attitude he's putting out there, and it totally works for him. Even though we have no idea who this guy is. And and I mean, he literally says that at the end of the song. Yeah, you know when he, you know which. Uh, Certainly, you know, these days you look back, you're like, eh, it's probably not the classiest line, but, <laughs> right. you know, he says, uh, turn around, I got I got uh, use for you. Yeah. You ain't got nothing better to do besides I'm bored. Yeah. You know, he, he, he literally says I'm bored in the song. Yeah, but it, it, he's he, disinterested as he is, everything still works in this song. The harmonies, the dual guitar attack, the uh, the Adler and uh, McKagan engine that's driving the whole thing yeah. with, with like an effortless energy. I mean, this is a band right in the pocket, right out of the gate. And and the the arrogance and the confidence right out of the gate is oh yeah you know is is quite impressive. It's for, the it's the swagger. Yes, it's yeah. the it's the kind of swagger you don't you haven't really seen in young kids like this probably since the Stones, maybe I, Aerosmith. It, it's it's interesting that you mentioned both of those bands because I've I've always thought that there is that you can draw a direct line. From the Rolling Stones to Aerosmith to Guns N' Roses, you yeah. Know, there, there's you got five guys in each band. Uh, you know, it started with the Stones. That attitude, mm-hmm. the the scuzziness of the band, the you know those just the grungy r- guitar riffs. Right. Um, the you've got the slightly effeminate. Uh, lead you know, singer, man, yeah. you know, lead singer. They all kind of dance in a weird way. <laughs> but that's very true. You know, There's a lot of similarities. Yeah, I mean, you've got you know the the two most iconic members of each band are the uh, the lead singer and, and the, the lead, lead guitarist. guitarist. You know, they all co-wrote together. Yeah. Also in that vein, the other line that I would put directly leading to Guns N' Roses, ACDC, which is ironic given that Axel that Axel's now now they're singing with them. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, absolutely, I mean, there's. For a band that doesn't really sound like anyone else, technically, yeah, they had a lot of direct influence from all three of those bands. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, and you can tell it. Yeah. Now, track three, uh, one of my favorites on the album, Night Train. Night Train. God, I love Night Train. Yeah. Ready to crash and burn. I never learn. Rattle, rattlesnake suitcase under my arm. Yeah, Just, and, you know, great visual. Yeah, and of course the crash and burn. We saw that a lot. Yes, uh, the the whole <laughs> I never learned thing that happened a lot with this band over the coming years. It's a very uh, prophetic song. Yeah, but it's it, it's it's a great pushy rocker that, um, and that's pushy with an H. Let me make sure you got that. Um, <laughs> it's one of those rockers that. Uh, establishes again the sound of the band and like acdc like the stones like aerosmith it's one of those songs that makes you realize as this band is going along you will always be able to identify a song by this band just based on how it sounds this is the classic guns and roses sound (laughs) 
really setting itself up for the future. Well, and that's one of the things that that I always admired about guns um, is you knew GNR before Axel started singing, right? You, you know, obviously when Axel, nobody sounds like Axel, mm-hmm. um, but nobody plays guitar like Slash. Right. You heard Slash's guitar, and you knew this is GNR. Mm-hmm. You know, and and uh, Izzy Stradlin as yeah. well. Um, you know, just a huge part of that band. Who and Izzy doesn't. I don't think he gets enough credit. No, he really doesn't. You know, it's it's but mainly you're, Axel. But you're and the Slash. other guitar player in a band with Slash, uh, d- right? <laughs> yeah, you're right. not going to get a lot of attention. Yeah, but yeah, Izzy's contributions to this band with songwriting and rhythm guitar, and and let's be honest, again, the look. You know, Izzy oh, yeah. was a, he was a big part of that scuzzy, grimy, dirty LA look, the crazy gypsy looking guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Who, by the way, um, like you say, never really got his due, but did a lot of great contribution for this band. Um, he uh, He's the one who came up with the 14 Years song a couple of mm-hmm. albums from now. Uh, he had a decent solo career that never really went anywhere, his but put out some great music. Yeah. 117 Degrees. Yes. Yeah. Great song. Yeah. And uh, Izzy Stradlin and the Juju Hounds. Yep, the Juju uh, Hounds. Yeah. Fantastic yeah, stuff. really good solo work. But yeah, you're right. Izzy um, never, ever got his due as a member of Guns N' Roses. And yeah. of course, none of, the, none of the guys really do now. But, you know, except for Slash and Axel and, and Duff and, to and a Duff, degree. Yeah. But uh, a lot of those guys have been cast aside so many times by Axel yeah. that it's kind of hard hard to to really figure out the timeline anymore yeah yeah uh track four out to get me it's the first truly forgettable track yeah of the album it, yeah, it feels like filler but it still kicks ass it's yeah it's and again this is you know when you're comparing it to the other 11 tracks on here you know, which are all really solid, really good hard rock songs. Yeah. But yeah, out to get me is it's it's good. It's it's yeah. Every you know, band has fillers yeah, like this. It's a cool song, but I mean, hey, if this is you know if this is your filler, yeah. You know, I mean, it, it says a lot about the quality of the. Considering album. it's on the first Guns and Roses album, even the least memorable songs on this album have that muscle that involuntarily moves your neck right. back and forth. Right. Yeah. So yeah, out to get me. Um, a nice lead-in, though, for oh, God, I love Brownstone, uh, a, a a a song. This one and and one other that will will get you. Um, to me, is such a um, an autobiographical Guns and Roses song. Yeah. Mr. Brownstone. Really, more than any other song in their catalog, tells the story of Guns N' Roses. I would totally you agree. Know, you know, the line the show starts at, at seven, we go on stage around, around nine. nine. You know, which uh, in the later years would be show starts at nine, we go around uh, on stage around two or yeah, what, you know, whatever. Exactly. But and you know, it just it, tell, it tells you that their whole story, yeah. right out of the box. And musically, it's this wonderful little shuffle about dope basically mm-hmm. and it's probably one of my favorite songs on the whole lp i mean if you're old enough to remember what an lp is um <laughs> the the guitar riff is nasty it's yeah. infectious it's like some sort of disease yeah um but uh, this is the song that really grabbed my attention the first time i listened to to both sides of appetite for destruction this was the song that won me over and made me a fan just based you know a on the story because I'm a story guy anyway. Right. But B, musically, it was like, God, these guys are 
good at this. Yeah, and hopefully they'll stay that way. And and, and this was a, again a big uh, big Izzy Stradlin influence. Exactly. Slash and, and Izzy both wrote the uh, the music for this, and and Axel had the story. So yeah. Uh, and when you're listening to the album, and you're just now over you know the end of Mr. Brownstone, thinking, "Wow, that was great." They hit you with one of the greatest songs of all time. Yeah, Paradise City. Paradise City. Uh, Paradise City, almost seven minutes. Um, and I, I think Paradise City is, even more so than, than Jungle, I think is their most iconic video. Video, it's, yeah. It's, I mean, there's, there's nothing special about the video. It's, it's concert footage. Yeah, but think about what it is. It's a band on their first album playing a packed stadium filled with tens of thousands of people. And to me, that the Paradise City video is what established the look of Guns N' Roses, particularly the look of Axl Rose. You know, that, that uh, cliche look, when you think of Axl, you think of the bandana, you think of the aviator shades. The leather. You know, the, yeah, the leather and, you know, the, the sidewinder dance, you know, and, and you got it all in that video. And, and one of, I, I think, one of the most memorable concert footage videos as well. Yeah. And there were a lot of detractors uh, in the 1980s who always liked to say that rock was dead. And this video was visceral evidence. Yeah, this this was visceral (laughs) evidence, both in music and video form, saying uh, no. Yeah, this song was so huge that there were radio stations that never touched stuff like this back in '88 that were cutting the guitar solo out and ending the breakdown section a little bit early, so that they could pass this off on their radio stations. I heard Paradise City on adult contemporary stations when it came out. Yeah. Um, and by the way, my radio career started right around the time the singles were uh, singles were really starting to drop off of this album. Yeah. So I got to enjoy the lovely ride with this yeah. album. And I was on top 40 stations, not rock stations right. back then. And we played the hell out of this album yeah. and, the, and the cuts on it rather that were released. And the funny thing is, we haven't even gotten to the biggest song from this album no. yet. No, that's and we're already up. talking about how epic <laughs> the songs have been so far on this album. Uh, now, the next track... Um, uh, was never going to be a single. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, definitely one that would not get played on adult contemporary. Right. You need a lot of editing. But... Again, a really, really great track, My Michelle. And another one, one, another one of my favorites, too. The, sto- the story in this song is just so messed up. Uh, now, do you know the story behind the song? No. Okay, so the story, uh, um, as legend goes, if, uh, if what I read years ago is, is correct, is mm-hmm. that, um, it, now, you know Axel, big Elton John fan. Yes. Elton John was a huge, or uh, Axel was a huge Elton John fan. and so Like all Ax- good-hearted people. It, right. Uh, so Axel and his girlfriend, Michelle, at the time, I don't know what her last name was, but they were in the car and they were listening to your song. And she said, oh, that's just, she said, that's so beautiful. Why don't you write a song for me like that? My Michelle was his answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just a hair's difference between the two songs. Uh, right. You know, oh, my, my Michelle, God. also a big wedding song, a big first dance Yeah, ex- exactly. Song. <laughs> and father-daughter dance. Yeah. Um, but, but again, this is the quintessential GNR riff. 
structure yeah. with some extra harmony thrown in. Um, and the riff is as body as Michelle herself is in the story. <laughs> it's excellent songwriting. It's even better execution. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never met a Guns N' Roses fan who's like, eh, I'm not a big fan of my Michelle. Everybody oh, loves this song. Yeah. Loves this band. The, the, the way it the way it starts out, it, you know, again, it's got kind of that slow build into it, yep. and yeah, it just. It just it's it's one of those that just kind of it you know it piques your your curiosity yeah at first, and then and then it just boom then it just punches you. I rediscovered my old iPod not too long ago and it had exactly two Guns and Roses songs in it. One was Civil War because I love that song. Oh yeah, that's yes. And uh, the other was My Michelle. Yeah. <laughs> it was the only one I had from the first album on the iPod. I only had two GNR songs in the whole thing. It's like <laughs> what the hell was I thinking when yeah, I put right? this together with just two songs? <laughs> but My Michelle was one of them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, such a great song. And not um, not something that most people usually say about the next one, but again, really solid song. Yeah, again, think about you is is really good. Again, if you're, you know, if you if you're going to rank the tracks on this album, mm-hmm. and that's going to be near the bottom, right? You know. But uh, and again, but, as, but it's good. As it's we've been saying, song. the weakest songs on Appetite still sound better than the best songs on most of the other first albums of the era. Right. Uh, you know, you're again, there the, the these you know, think about you and out to get me and you know i think anything goes we'll we'll get to that in a couple tracks but yeah. you know th- those to me are the are the three weakest they're the filler but but i don't skip over them no uh, you, you still know, listen but, to them yeah I, I mean i listen to this album all the way through there is there's nothing on here that i go eh, all right uh, yeah you know i i agree and axel gives us the kick-ass vocal shiver in the chorus yes where you can yes. possibly hear his bottom lip quivering right yeah that that is that is the the coolest part of yeah. that song and uh, the other thing about think about you is it does make a nice appetizer for the main course the 16 ounce ribeye with rocket sauce that's coming up next uh, which is sweet child of mine the one of the most iconic most memorable guitar riffs of all time that intro yeah i mean i mean this is a song that everybody knows everybody knows this song yeah. everyone's heard this song Everybody likes this song as overplayed as as it might be by this point. It's been covered. Even Fergie couldn't screw this song up. I, you know, I, now God I know, knows she tried. I know a lot of people hate the Cheryl Crow cover of, of this, but I think it's fine. It's but still, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But it is. It's a song that that gets covered. I, you know, I uh, go to a lot of uh, country artist concerts. This is like a standard for country artists now. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, rock artists, country, everybody. Knows and loves Sweet Child of Mine. What I wrote down was, if every other song from 1987 and 88 was a movie, this song is Avengers Infinity War. (laughs) Um, This song's more like a bull in a china shop and a a toddler in a flower bed simultaneously. I mean, it's... It's everything. It defined the new face of rock for the next couple of years. It draws a straight line to the grunge movement that was going to launch in the early 90s while still paying homage to the the rock that had come before. Um, And the guitar solo made Slash a rock god. Um, And it's, it's weirdly, though, it's also it's a bit of a power ballad. You know, it's 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 kind of this. This weird dichotomy of yeah, it know, really th- is. This is a song that that AC stations could get away with playing, mm-hmm. at, you know, simultaneously with with hard rock stations, and yeah. and this is the song probably that Michelle wishes Axel had written for her. It's <laughs> a matter of fact, and, you know, because uh, you know that it, it's a it's a very it, it's th- that's the other kind of interesting thing about Axel and Guns and Roses is. 
you know their image and so as we've talked about so many of the songs are these these nasty angry you know very uh, uh you know masochistic uh, sexist type of songs and lyrics but then you know occasionally you get something like sweet child of mine which is right you know, goes completely against the image that th- that these guys were trying to put out. But, mm-hmm. you know, it made you realize that, yeah, you know, Axel does actually have a soft side. Yeah. And the, the thing I love most about um, what this what the legacy of this song has been is I don't know that I've ever heard anyone. And I mean, anyone ever sing along to this song without trying to imitate Axel's voice on the where do we go? <laughs> and uh, and even the no, 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 no thing at the end. I mean, yeah. it's oh, yeah. everybody tries to sound exactly like Axel when they sing this. It's yes. kind of like you can't hear that part of Bohemian Rhapsody without head banging like right. they did on Wayne's World. <laughs> right. Yeah. But yeah, Sweet Child of Mine, definitely a serious game changer, not just for the band, of course, but for rock. I mean, let's be honest, oh, yeah. in the late 80s. Yeah. Um, you're, uh, you're crazy after that. Um, really good. Uh, kind of a punky, um, ass kicker. Yeah. To be honest with you. Now, do you, if you had to choose this version or the acoustic version off of the Lies EP? Ooh. A tough call, I know. It's a really tough call. I kind of go with this one, personally. I, 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 I love I, the acoustic. Yeah. And I, I lean to the acoustic just, just because... The and and again, it's kind of what we've been talking about. How you know everything on here is so great. The acoustic version just kind of in my mind stands out a little bit more. Well, it it focuses it, it, more on on the harmony. Yeah, and it just it, it you know you're crazy the, uh, the 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 rock version on Appetite again kind of gets lost in the shuffle to a certain degree. It does because there's so much great hard yeah. rock around it. It's a face melter surrounded by melted faces. <laughs> basically, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, and then uh, track eleven, as as we discussed, anything goes. It, it's, it's I've been thinking about thinking about sex. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah. It, it's the one song in the whole thing that rem- that kind of resembles the "We're Just Here for the Chicks" mindset right. of rock from the late eighties. But then again, Trickster and Faster Pussycat couldn't even be the roadies for anything that sounds this good. Right. Again, as. As filler, quote unquote, filler tracks go, uh, you know, they're doing they're doing pretty well. Yeah. And um, it showed that Guns N' Roses was just jumping the line on all of those hair metal bands right Mm -hmm. here on their debut effort, which was great. Right. Because that, you know, anything goes would have been for for lesser bands that could have been their biggest hit. Yeah, uh, you know, that, yeah. that, that matter of been fact, a, a career defining hit. My way, your way, yeah. anything goes to. And people are surprised that that wasn't a hit, right? Because they know the song, right? Exactly. And, so. it's, and again, when you go through, you're like, eh, it's, it's one of the more forgettable cuts right. yet. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to think of it that yeah. way. And, uh, and that leaves one, which um, a lot of people consider one of their favorites. It, th- this is one of my favorites. Um, it, it I'm is, with you. It, it I. I think kind of distills everything about Guns N' Roses into six minutes and 13 seconds. Yeah. It, it, the, the story, it's, again, it's dirty, it's scuzzy, it's got, you've got great axle vocal work, you have the, uh, the, the porno sound section, yeah. you know, in the middle, which... Well, it's called Rocket Queen, so, you know. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, you know, that, the, the, the whole section there, you know the story behind that. No, oh, no, no. The, so you did some homework. What do you got for me? Well, so those, uh, you know, those sounds <laughs> are 
again, according to legend, um, and this has been pretty much confirmed by all parties involved. Brought somebody uh, into the studio, or yes, Axel. Well, there you uh, go. Brought Stephen Adler's girlfriend. Oh, no. So that's Axel and Stephen Adler because she was mad at Adler because she caught him with another groupie or something like that. Oh so God! So she started hitting on Axel, and you know what? I do remember this story. Yeah. I think I read it in the original rock and roll comics back in the day. Yeah. Oh my so, God! That's so right. He brought her in and and hot it up. Yeah. <laughs> started recording. Hit, hit that record button. Uh, I'll be hitting the button. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but but again, you know, it just it fills in that story and that legend of Guns N' Roses. Absolutely. And, and, and every you know everything that that everybody thought about them and and the image that they portrayed. You know, it just it just fit right into that. And again, it's a solid song that sounds like it belongs, especially the first half of it, on the soundtrack of any movie where people in leather are beating the crap out of other people <laughs> in leather. Um, as strong as the opening cut of the album was, it, this ends the album with an equally powerful statement. Yes. It's, it's just six minutes of pure cock rock. And, and it makes you think of Judas Priest, the Scorps, Deep Purple, all those guys that came before. And I love the I, I love the change to the bridge at the end. Yeah, that it, you know because it, it is it's it's basically it's like two different songs. That they, it showed that there was depth to this band. Yeah, which yeah. is again not something that you saw out of a band that typically sounded like this, especially on their debut. Right, looked like this. Um, but yeah, it, it is such a strong ending. Yeah, to, to, to that album that you, you know you that song finishes and I, I'm like. Let's let's start over. Let's yeah, go, you let's, know, let's go again. Let's go back to track one. You yeah, know, it, and it, yeah, it, it's amazing that uh, an album with twelve tracks, almost an hour long, can somehow still leave you wanting more. And we'd have to wait a little less than a year for more. We got for, GNR Lies, yeah, which um, is is okay. I mean, it has some, yeah. again the the acoustic. You're crazy. Uh, used to love her. Our, you know, our, I, used, our, I just great. listened to that in the car the other yeah. day. Used to love her, but I had to kill her. Yeah, that's you know that's a great one. Um, I think you know with and I love the Use Your Illusions albums. I, I do too. Use Your Illusions two more than one. I'm with you on that. Um, I feel like they if if they had maybe taken some of the stuff off of lies and combined it with some of the stuff from Use Your Illusions one. You could have had one, a, another really, really solid follow up, and then you know take Use Your Illusions two, have that a separate release, and they would have had at least three front to back great albums. But they never, even though they're they're celebrity and they're uh, they're touring and everything, you know, reached monumental heights. Right. They they were never able to match the the greatness of appetite for destruction true because uh, after we had the use your illusions which again very strong albums yes. and i remember everybody clamoring to the store and buying oh, yeah. both of them yeah um we had to wait a couple more years then we got the spaghetti incident which yeah, was the not... leftover it was like led zeppelin's coda it, it yeah. was the leftovers and it's all covers good but not great yeah and it then is... it's a 14 year wait through a hundred people going in and out of the band, like radio salespeople, um, <laughs> the, the revolving door, yeah, to and, get to Chinese democracy. And by which, the time it came out, Axel was the only original member left. Yeah, and and there was no way it could have possibly lived up to the expectations. No way, anyways. In but it still it was not very good. Even, right. even well, I like the album, but the problem is there were three. There were like two great songs. Maybe two or three good songs, and then, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean the title <laughs> the title track is is good. I like yeah, the title. Track. I like Madagascar and I, I like better is better was good is is good. It's a different sound. It was a different it, feel. Yeah. It was a different band. Right. So right, but uh, but yeah, nothing what, they've ever done um, has come close to really matching what happened with Appetite, which sold what fourteen, sixteen, seventeen million copies. Uh, yeah, I mean just what a what a legacy just on that album alone. Yeah, I absolutely. Mean, what, what an impact. And 31 years now. Oh, God. <laughs> We're old. <laughs> we are very old. But uh, and it makes you wonder who's next. I mean, who's who's going to be the, the next album that we that we can think of three decades after it came out that was that made that kind of impact? Maybe Nevermind, but not all. That but, was the first one that, yeah, that I thought of. But not all the songs on Nevermind are as good as right. the songs you remember like right. Polly and and, and and nevermind is not a debut either no also you know? true you know so that's i mean it's it's hard to match what, yeah. what guns and roses pulled off with it was that. lightning in a bottle not even guns and roses could match what they did right. here exactly so well this is fun and yeah. uh i'm gonna go and listen to appetite again <laughs> i think i'm gonna do the same actually <laughs> tommy lee brad king Thank, Thank you, you very so much. much. It's uh, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Now we need to find another cultural touchstone that we can play with. We, we will work on that. All um, right. Let me ask you a question, the item and the archive. Go check them out. Thank you guys very much for listening. This has been Item with Tommy Lee. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.